Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey. Hey, it's good to be together, uh, to worship God together, to open his word together. And with that, you're going to want a Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go and open up to the book of Romans. Uh, if you need a Bible, don't worry, we have people walking around. Just slip up a hand and they will put a Bible in your hand so you can follow along. Uh, we've been on this journey uh, through the book of Romans since the beginning of the school year. So hard to believe that we are nearing the end of our study. Uh, we'll actually be in Romans 15 this morning. But as we uh, near the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we are also coming to the point of Paul's letter to this little church. That Paul's goal all along was not to write a, a theological treatise. Romans wasn't meant to be a systematic theology, a, a list of doctrines and faith statements. Romans was a letter written to a real people in a real place, struggling with real problems that Paul had a vision for. That if these people that lived in such a divided, chaotic, crisis-filled conflicted world could come together around the gospel of Jesus, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, rooted in their identity as sons and daughters of the true king, loving each other as brothers and sisters, then from this little church, united in Christ, he could launch out on mission to the ends of the earth. And so Paul, I mean, so, so Paul wrote Romans not so much as a theological letter, but as a missional letter. That his goal was to root this community in the truth of the gospel in a way that would move past discord and division to unify God's people around Jesus. That's been the heart of this church. So Romans has spoken so powerful into who we are as Grace Monroe and the Grace family of churches. The heart for restoration and reconciliation. In fact, uh, yesterday I had the privilege of getting to be a part with, with uh, several of you actually, um, a part of a community dialogue around uh, a documentary that came out about a year ago called Unspoken. You may be familiar with that. And uh, Unspoken was, uh, was won several awards here in the last several months. Um, in the different screenings that it's been a part of, but it, it was made, produced um, by one of our Monroe local residents, Stephanie Calabrese, who just began to ask questions about the history and the, the painful parts of Monroe's history that living here for 26 years, she had never heard about, and they were unspoken. And uh, specifically around the lynching that happened here in Walton County in the 1940s. And so her question became a question of curiosity. How is it that was something that was such a, a painful part of our past is something that most of the people in my community act like didn't happen? And so she very humbly and honestly began to explore those questions and to, to, uh, to, to discover the stories, the painful stories of the racial uh, divide in our community. And, uh, but her heart from the beginning was that it would move us towards healing. Now, we've said this on a spiritual level, but this happens on a community level well, that healing begins with honesty. Our healing before Jesus, we have to be honest with our own brokenness before God, amen? 
And in the same way as a community, we have to be honest with our story. And so, and so she's just simply telling the stories that have been unspoken. And uh, there's three screenings a few weeks ago here in Monroe. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be a part of that, there's another screening in April in Athens. Um, and so just be on the lookout for that. But the, the heart of that wasn't just simply to, to tell the story, but to ask the question, okay, now how do we move forward in a healthy way, which has been the heartbeat of Grace Monroe since we planted it 10 years ago. How do we move towards healing and reconciliation? How do we be a place of restoration? And, and so we gathered together in the student building, about 40 or 50 of us, uh, from black and white from all over our community, uh, different uh, parts of town, different backgrounds, different stories, and just sat around tables and shared lunch together and, and shared reflections on, on what the documentary stirred up in us, our own story. And it was just a beautiful, sweet time of coming together as we realize that, that the divide between us isn't quite as big as sometimes we think. That when we stand in the face of one another's humanity and recognize the, the, the glory of God that is within each, that we can learn to love. And we recognize that it was Jesus that is bringing all people together, destroying the dividing wall of hostility. And Paul's heart in the book of Romans is to do precisely that in, in that city in the same way we're praying for this, that to happen in our city. That no longer would we see ourselves as Jews versus Gentiles, as us versus them, but in Christ, we are one family with one father, one baptism, one spirit, that we are now brothers and sisters of one family, as Paul will say, the body of Christ. And we will learn to love. And that, and that how can I lift you up, even if that means that by lowering myself to, to humbly, sacrificially love you well. In fact, Paul gets this idea straight from Jesus, right? You know, Jesus, at the end of his life, gathers with his disciples in the upper room. And, and as he's gathered there, he says to them, he kneels down, he washes their feet, this, this symbolic act of sacrificial, humble love. And then he says in John 13, he says to them that, that a new command I'm giving you, to love one another the way that I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Not with simply affectionate feelings and kind words, but with humble, sacrificial action. And then he said this, and this is the crazy part. And the rest of the world will know that you're disciples, my disciples, by how you love one another. In other words, it wasn't just simply about them loving each other well. It was that their love for each other would be a statement to the rest of the world about God's love for us all. This is huge. I mean, this is the invitation we get to be a part of. And not just church is this thing we come in and attend and sing a few songs and go in our own way, but, but church is a community of faith learning how despite our differences and disagreements to come together around the person of Jesus to sacrificially love one another in, in such a way that the rest of the world will say there's something different about those people. There's something different. And so Paul will write in Romans 15, starting in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, welcome or receive, accept, embrace one another as Christ has welcomed, received, accepted, embraced you for the glory of God or to bring praise to God. That you are now one family, adopted as sons and daughters, filled with the Spirit of God, living as brothers and sisters, so therefore welcome, accept, embrace, receive one another for the glory of God, that God would be praised through your love. So it's not unity simply for the sake of unity, it's unity for the sake of mission. That rooted in their gospel identity, God would be glorified. But you see, this, hasn't been, this isn't a new idea that Jesus came up with. I mean, this has been God's heart from the very beginning, from the first pages of Scripture. I mean, we see God planting humanity in a garden together to walk in harmony with Him and with one another. Fully known and fully loved sent out to release the, the potential of this good world that he created. And then we screw it up, right? Pretty quickly, three chapters into Genesis, the, the tale takes a tragic turn and, and all of a sudden we are, we are separated from God and divided against one another, blame and accusation and fear and hiding and shame and guilt and loneliness, and violence, all the things that define our world today. But God doesn't give up, does he? Out of the, the chaos and the division of this world and the brokenness and the longing of our hearts to be reconnected with God and living rightly with the, with the people around us, uh, God calls forth a man named Abram, Genesis chapter 12. And what does God say to Abram? The Lord said, leave your land. Leave this place of, of foreign gods and what's familiar to you, your family, your father's household for the land that I will show you. And I will make of, an, make of you a great nation and will bless you. I mean, that's a pretty good word from God, right? Out of all the craziness of the world, God speaks, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your family into a great family. Later, he'll say like the stars of the sky, such will be your descendants. But God doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. The word that we all would love, that we all want to receive from God. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. In other words, I am going to bless you, not for your, the sake of simply your own blessing in your own family. I'm going to bless you that through you, Abram, and your descendants, the rest of the world, all the nations of this world would be blessed. And so Paul continues in Romans 15. For I tell you, he writes in verse 8, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised or to the Jewish people to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, which is what? I'm going to bless you, that you would be a blessing to all the nations. And in order that the Gentiles 
And from their perspective, the Gentiles were all the nations of the earth that were not Jewish. Might glorify God for his mercy. And then Paul will continue on over the next verses. And, and I don't know if your Bible uh, uh, quotes them out or not, but, or uh, gives the reference. But he, he quotes two Psalms, Deuteronomy and Isaiah. In other words, what Paul is saying is that all of Scripture, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, all point to God's heart for the nations. That all people, everywhere, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, would recognize his glory and surrender to him as king. Isaiah 49, 6, God declares through the prophet, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, it's not enough to simply uh, to, to call back the Jewish people to God. But I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And this is God's heart from the beginning. As I said, uh, Paul quotes Psalm 18 in, in Romans 15. He's quoting Psalm 18. He quotes Psalm 117. But do you know how many of the Psalms, of the 150 Psalms, speak of the nations? 66. 44% of all of the Psalms speak of God's heart for the nations. And I just wonder, for us, how many of the worship songs that we sing lift our eyes up to God's heart for the rest of the world? How many of the songs that are being written are about what God wants to do to the ends of the earth? It's Jesus' final command to his disciples, right? Matthew 28, in verse 18, Jesus gathered them together. We call the Great Commission or Co-Mission, the mission that we're all on together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does Jesus do with all that authority? Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation. The word there literally in the Greek is ethne. It's where uh, uh, we get the idea of, of, of ethnicity. The word for nations. In other words, it's a, it's a people group united by a common culture and a common language. Make disciples of every ethne, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, listen, I, I'm with you to the very ends of the age. I mean, it's an axe. When Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and he gathers there on the mountain with his disciples and the disciples are asking him about when the kingdom of God is going to be restored to Israel. In other words, they're concerned about what's happening in, in, their, in their world. God, when is the kingdom going to come back to Israel? When are you going to fulfill the promises that you made to us? And how does Jesus answer their concerns? Jesus says, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. In other words, Paul says to his disciples who are wondering, when's the kingdom coming back to Israel? Is that you're focused on what God's gonna do right here, but I'm trying to fix your vision on what God wants to do through you out there. It's the same challenge that, that we must face, that I must face. I mean, even preparing for you know, Romans 15 and you know how sometimes you say something and after it comes out, it's sort of like, man, I wish I had worded that differently. So on our, on our church calendar, we've been um, calling today Nation Sunday. We have some dear friends with us and I'll introduce to you in just a second from uh, Young Life in the Middle East and uh, that we're gonna, we knew were gonna be here and it coincided with us getting to this point in Paul's gospel. It was just this beautiful convergence there. Romans, I mean, uh, so Nation Sunday. But as I was preparing, I was thinking, man, I hate that I ever called it that. Like, why would it be this Sunday? Like, as if like one Sunday of the year, God is concerned for the nations. What about the other 51 Sundays of the year? I mean, God's heart from the first pages of, of Genesis through the prophet, I mean, through, through all of the law, to the prophets, through the Psalms, to Jesus, to the early church, God was saying the same thing over and over again. I want to bless you. I want to root you in my love. I want to empower you. I want to heal you. I want to free you so that you will be a light and a sign and a hope to the rest of the world. And I just wonder how much of my preaching is, is focused on, like, and it's not to say it's not important. I mean, it's a foundation, but it's on, like, our personal relationship with God. What's happening in our community? What, 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 how we deal with our family and my marriage? I mean, all of that's super important, but I just look at it and go, is it one out of 52 that we're talking about what God talks about page after page after page after page. And in fact, what he rebukes them for is the fact they forget that and they all of a sudden begin to think that his blessings are about themselves. A, a, a couple of years ago, or about a year and a half ago, um, we were doing a staff training for all the, the Grace staff from the different churches. You know, so if you're not part of Grace, Grace Monroe is a part of the Grace family of churches. There's 10 different Grace churches. And, um, and so we brought all the staff together. And, and a good friend of mine, a guy named John Stallsmith, he's the, the lead pastor at Grace in Snellville. And he was giving a talk about um, Grace's heart for the nations. I mean, this is a phrase we use all the time about reaching the neighborhoods, the nations, the next generation. And we have this idea, this identity statement of the Grace family. We call ourselves rooted renegades. Uh, that, you know, rooted in scripture, rooted in, uh, in the community of God, rooted in the things that matter to the heart of Jesus, but, but renegade, willing to push the edges, willing to go to the places that other people aren't willing to go, willing to stir the pot a little bit. So rooted renegades. And we have these missional pillars that we say, these, the, the focus on reaching the next generation, on raising up, uh, uh, raising up leaders, on planting churches. But then another one is catalyzing Jesus movements in the Muslim world. That's a huge statement. Yeah. Especially for a little church like Monroe in small town Georgia. 
catalyzing Jesus movements in the Muslim world. Just process that for, process that for a second. So he was just reminding the staff, like he was just talking about like God's heart for the nations and where this comes from and, and this pillar that we say is a, is a missional pillar for us as a church. And he made this statement and it so convicted me. I mean, it just, it rocked me. What he said was, he said uh, that paganism, paganism is, is about local gods with local concerns. But monotheism is about one universal God with universal concerns. And he said that we can live as professing monotheists, but practicing pagans when we begin to think that God is primarily concerned about my local concerns. I'll say that again. We can live, we can profess to be monotheists, but live as practicing pagans when we begin to think that God is primarily concerned about my local concerns. Which, not to say that God isn't concerned about what's going on in your life. He deeply is. He grieves with you when you grieve. He, he wants to heal you from the places that you're broken and set you free from the places that you're in bondage. He comes near you from the inevitable heartbreak of living in this fallen world. But it's not all about you. It's not all about me. He's a universal God with universal concerns. Man, have you ever heard that phrase? Like, why should we, we be worried about those people over there when we have so many problems in our own country, in our own backyard? Ever heard that before? And it so broke my heart. I mean, literally, I just, I just wept. And there, there's this little closet, uh, little storage closet behind the sound booth there at Grace New Hope. And he made this statement about we can live as practicing pagans and profess to be monotheists and, and just realize how much of my life and attention and concern and worry was about what God was doing right here or what I thought I needed him to do for me. And, and I, I mean, I just cried. And I went back in the, story, the storage closet and just like ugly wept, you know? This is what I do, by the way. You can ask my wife. This is how I cry. Is, uh, Adam Sandler movies do it to me all the time. <laughs> Have you ever seen Click, you know? Whew, it wrecked me. Uh, is we'll watch the movie, everything will be good. She'll go to bed. I'll be like, I'll be there in just a minute. And I'll, I'll go stand in the corner by the window and just, just sob. <laughs> so I went to this uh, storage closet. And I'm just weeping. The problem was I was actually the next speaker. And so, uh, so I had to get up. I mean, like I'm like snot-faced. And I'm just like, I have no idea what I said. But what broke my heart was this realization that God is calling us forward to his people all over the world. And it is so easy to begin to think that what God is primarily wanting to do is what I think he needs to do for me. And I just wonder as a church if sometimes we forget. And our vision gets too small and we begin to get focused right here. And so Paul will continue 
and basically say, you know, I've written you this letter. I know that you, you have what you need, but I wanted to remind you of a few things. And then verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to, say that word, Elirissum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Just to give you some context, um, Jerusalem to Elirissum, which is modern-day Albania, is approximately 1,000 miles apart. And thus, and, and so Paul says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ within that thousand mile region. In other words, from here to Boston, Paul says, I, I have fulfilled my calling to those people. Now, does that mean that everybody within that thousand mile radius uh, or that thousand mile reach has uh, professed faith in Jesus Christ? No, not at all. But it does mean that within that thousand miles, that distance from Atlanta to Boston, uh, that there are enough churches that Paul has planted and passed on the task of preaching the gospel and making disciples of their neighbors, that he's saying, I fulfilled my call to this place. And so now, he continues, I make it my ambition, my driving aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. In other words, I want to go to the place that no one else is going. I, I want to take this gospel, this good news of Jesus, into the regions where there is no church planted. There is no one making disciples. There is no one sharing with their neighbor. And this is the reason, he says, I've been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, which is a hilarious thought, that within a few decades of the church being planted in a thousand mile stretch, Paul would go, got no longer room for me. It's like the pioneers that are like, time to move. I can see smoke from my neighbor's chimney. And so he longs to go. And he says, I, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So 15 chapters in, we get to the thrust of what Paul is trying to do. I want you to send me to the farthest places. Now we hear that Spain, and it's like, that's a great place for a family vacation. Like, Tapas and good wine? Yeah, Paul, suffering for Jesus, aren't you? But in that day, Spain would have been the farthest edges of the known Roman world. From their perspective, they didn't know about the Americas yet. They didn't know about the Far East. I mean, from their world, that was the, the, the ends of the earth would have been the western coast of Spain. And so he's saying, I want you, I'm going to come to you. I'm trying to root you in this gospel identity so that through you, you can refresh me, strengthen me, pray for me, so that we can take this gospel on to the ends of the world as we know it. So we talk about this phrase, unreached people groups. The definition of an unreached people group is a people group is considered, remember people group, ethne, it's a, a group of people connected by a common culture and a common language. A people group is considered unreached when there is no indigenous community of believing Christians able to engage this people group with church planning. 
In other words, an unreached people group is one where there's no significant, significant community of native believers and no successful means of church planting, evangelism, or discipleship. Uh, those who research such thing or try to quantify it would say that there is less than 2% of that population that is Christian, a professing Christian. Now you throw up that map. It's a map of the, 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 the different people groups of the world. Approximately 40% of them still would be considered unreached. Of all the people in the world, 40% of different of people groups have not been reached with the gospel, meaning that there's less than a 2% uh, Christian presence in their community. Those dots represent each, uh, each of the different people groups around the world. Obviously, the color code is, is how gospel-saturated they are, dark green being uh, a, good, a, a good gospel presence, uh, light green, uh, and down to red where there is no gospel presence. Um, the majority of those are in what uh, is classified as the 1040 window, stretching between uh, 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude. And uh, in that northern Africa, Middle Eastern to uh, Far Eastern stretch of the world where there is basically no gospel witness. When you zoom out from a global perspective, that represents 3.27 billion people that have no access to the gospel. No one's planting churches in those regions. There's no disciple-making movements happening in those regions. Basically 42% of the world. And yet, when you look at the mobilization of cross-cultural workers from the church of Jesus to the world, in other words, people, not just Christians, and not even Christian workers like me, like a pastor, but people who feel called to leave their cultural context to go to another part of the world, like Paul is saying in Romans 15, he's, you know, he's originally from Antioch, uh, or from Tarsus, and then his hometown is Antioch, and, and he's now saying, send me to Spain, send me to a different people group, to a different culture, a different language. Uh, like, of, of all the people currently serving as cross-cultural missionaries, 75.9% of them go to the already reached world. 23.7% of them work with what is called the unevangelized, which means the areas where less than 50% of people have encountered the gospel. And let me pause right there because I know there are, are many people in this room that are passionate about causes and, and about empowering people and reaching people in parts of the world that would be considered evangelized. And there are lost people everywhere and God's heart is for all people to know him. So in no way hear me discounting the work that God is doing through missionaries in regions all over the world or even in our own backyard. It all matters. But the point I'm making is that of everyone called to go cross-culturally, only 0.37%, less than 1% of the people called to go cross-cultural go to the places that have never heard the name of Jesus. You can throw that next map on. This is the non-Christian population. Makes sense. This is what already we showed that 1040 window. 
that uh, those dots represent uh, the millions of people in those different parts of the world that, uh, that don't know Jesus. And go to the next slide. The purple dots represent Christian missionaries and the red, non-Christians. I'll go to the next slide. Of people that are called to go, and we already said one of our pillars, and we get to ask this a lot, is why the Muslim world? And that's not to say that uh, we, as a church, don't support or advocate for causes that are going to non-Muslim parts of the world. In fact, one of our very dear families uh, that, that from Monroe got raised up in a sent and supported, prayed for, and encouraged uh, to go into the Far East, into a primarily Buddhist area of the world. And so we love them and we send them. But when we say what we're going to focus our missions efforts on is reaching the Muslim world, here's why. Because of missionaries, uh, the, the amount of uh, missionaries going to the world, the green represents the disbursement of foreign missionaries. The red represents uh, the, the number of non-Christians in the world by that group. 90% of missionaries are going to parts of the world that would already be considered Christian. If you look, the largest percentage of non-Christians consider themselves Muslim. And the fewest number of missionaries are going to the parts of the world, that part of the world. Another, another way to know that is that, or to see that, actually there's that other slide that shows the different religions, I think. Um, nope, next one. Next one. 86% of the world is considered, of Muslims is considered in areas that are considered unreached. It's this one. Um, there is one missionary for every 405,500 Muslims. So a few years ago, uh, in 2000, I... Um, Graduated from college, I got invited to go move into the basement of this renegade pastor named Buddy Hoffman. And uh, with my best friend, a guy named Tyler. Tyler had just taken the job as the high school pastor at Grace Snellville. At the time, it was actually the only Grace Church. And, um, and I w went on staff with an organization called Young Life. And Young Life's mission is to, uh, to build uh, mentoring friendships with non-Christian students to introduce them to Jesus, middle school and high school students. And so going on to high school campuses, middle school campuses, uh, empowering leaders to go get to know students. Once they came to Christ, they would be discipled uh, through what Tyler was doing with the high school ministry of the church. It's just a really beautiful uh, partnership. And um, at the time, Grace's primary focus was reaching the next generation. And so we were deeply involved in the schools. But then there was an event that obviously shook all of America, um, but also uh, radically uh, changed the trajectory of grace as, as a church, and that was 9-11. Um, just curious, uh, were any of y'all a part of grace uh, at the time, Grace Snellville, Grace Fellowship, back at 9-11? Yeah, a handful of you. How many of you were like still in middle and high school in 9-11? Yeah, more of you were still in school at 9-11 than were a part of Grace. But um, so we, uh, so 9-11 happened. I was actually at a Young Life staff meeting and Grace was, you know, in their staff meeting when the planes hit the Trade Center. 
and uh, and one of the responses, part of the culture of grace, that kind of southern hospitality thing is, it's better to do something than nothing. And what do you do when people have tragedy? Well, you show up at their doorstep with a casserole. And so our, our version of that, you know, the next week, Buddy got on a plane, headed to Manhattan. And on his way out the door, uh, he was handed a stack of, of cards that our kids had made in the, little, in the Grace Kids program, just a little crayon drawings, we love you firefighters, we're praying for you police officers, you know, pray for New York. I mean, just sweet little cars from kids. And Buddy kind of grabbed them sort of as an afterthought on his way out the door to catch his plane. But those cars, this is a longer story I won't get into now, but basically became this, uh, this, this uh, passport that opened all these doors that ended up Buddy found himself at ground zero uh, in the smoking ruins of the trade centers uh, in the, the little plywood makeshift morgue that had been set up as the, the rescue workers were still going through the wreckage trying to find any survivors. And Buddy was so broken by the things he was seeing and talking to the firefighters there that he said he went behind the morgue and he knelt in the ashes of the trade center and he prayed this prayer. This little prayer that ended up changing everything for us. And what he prayed was, God, if you could use a little church in Snellville, Georgia to do something about this, and this meaning the, the conflict and the war and the, the, the Muslim, uh, the Christian, the conflicts that were going on and terrorism. If you could use a small, a little church in Snellville, Georgia to do something about this, we're in. And as he told the story, uh, he said, uh, he kind of expected God to sort of pat him on the head and be like, that's nice, buddy. You can't hardly speak English. This problem is way bigger than what you can do. But it led us on this journey. A couple weeks later, Tyler and I had the privilege of taking a van load of college students up there and praying with students and, uh, and being there at Ground Zero with those people. They ended up taking us over to London to begin getting training in evangelism. And, and this, this long 20-year journey of uh, trying to figure out what does it look like to reach our Muslim neighbors and around the world with the love and the grace of Jesus. And Buddy, in that moment, as he prayed, he said he felt like God, immediately the first question that God asked him is that if you're going to engage in this, then you've got to answer this. Are those people, meaning the Muslim world, are those people the enemy or the prize? Decide that first. Because you sure aren't going to be able to go over and love people with the gospel if you view them as the enemy. Do you want to kill them or did Jesus die for them? And so this long journey, well, at the same time, uh, I had, when I first went on staff with Young Life, there was a lady on staff with me named Lori. And uh, Lori ended up getting married to this, this guy named Hunter. And, uh, and I knew about what Hunter was doing. Hunter had a heart for seeing young life expand into other parts of the world. And so he uh, was part of that kind of forming of um, Young Life International. And it primarily was based out of uh, South America at that point. And, um, but at the same time that Grace was on this journey over here, Young Life and Hunter was on a journey over here also getting stirred with what would it look like to take Young Life is outreach to students over to the Middle East. 
And so I, I actually, we're privileged to have uh, Hunter and his team uh, with us this Sunday. So I'm going to ask them to come on up. Let's give them a, a warm welcome. And I went six minutes over my part. So uh, the, the real treat of what we have this morning is, uh, is, is, um, is having these amazing folks. So Alicia, uh, who also was a part of Young Life and didn't realize until yesterday or whenever you told me today that was connected to Young Life before getting connected to Grace and through Buddy and meeting at the, the National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, but now Alicia is one of us. She lives here in Monroe and is a part of our uh, Grace family here and leads what we do with Epic um, over to the Holy Land. Hunter, who I already mentioned, is uh, a part of Young Life International. This is Yusuf, our friend. I'll let him introduce himself in a second, but is the, the regional director for Young Life in the Middle East based out of Palestine. And this is our friend Jonah, who... Um, why are you? I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll share in a second why what we have, uh, what Jonah's stepping into next. But um, Hunter, I just, uh, I sort of led into that story with uh, how God is moving in grace into this heart, this call to engage the Muslim world. We just, from your perspective, the young life side of that story. Yeah. Well, said like, originally going over you knew there were a few believers um, we just talked about unreached people groups define when you say there are a few believers in Palestine what do you actually well, so, mean? So
So even from a cultural Christian perspective, they would be what we just talked about as they'd be a red dot of, of unreached people. So yeah, I mean that, that on the surface it looks almost like a hopeless task, but there are some really beautiful things happening. So Yusuf, we share just a little bit of your story and uh, like this call into young life from what God did in you. Did talk. صباح الخير. كيف حالكم How many times we woke up and uh, we cannot really understand what he's saying? Like right now right now yes <laughs> every day we woke up and the sunrise comes up again and there is hope uh, in the part of the world where we are no matter Palestine America God exists but we don't really get it uh, you know I like to do it more fun they are kind of boring sorry <laughs> uh, my name is uh, yes sorry <laughs> My name is uh, Yusuf, Naim, Anton, Irshad, Isa, Abdullah, Khalil, Ibrahim. <laughs> if, no. <laughs> oh yeah, I have a third kid now. Uh, actually, I have uh, a big family name. And uh, I really enjoy saying my full name because if you go back to Matthew, uh, the chapter started with that names ending with Jesus. It doesn't matter which family you come from, which country, which color, which nation. We belong to one tree. That is Jesus. And uh, you know, sometimes the tree is around it. It has holes. And there is uh, ant, you call it? Small animals, it goes inside. And people, they start uh, throwing medicine or uh, smells to kill that animals. But you know what? Sometimes these small animals, it's bring, make holes to bring air into the tree. So sometimes we have challenges and struggles in our life, but it's good for us. It's really good for us. Uh, I grew up in a small village. A hopeless case. You know, I never think about myself being in America. Like, wow, this is a dream. Even when I look at you guys, I feel like I'm watching a movie. <laughs> the, first, the first time I come to America, I'm looking in their faces like, wow, they look like a movie star, you know? Or like their uh, houses, the, the streets, the cars, and it's just amazing. Uh, there is a picture of here we will uh, see, and uh, that kid has a circle uh, on his head. That's me. Honestly, every time I look at it, it's so funny. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm sitting by the teacher. It seems like I'm a really good kid. <laughs> He's like, sit here. So that's, that's when I was like eight, nine years old. Uh, in that time of the year in my life, I, like from that time to the age of 18, I experienced really different things in my life. One, I was paralyzed for a year. Second, I tried to be a priest. Third, I tried to be a monk. Fourth, I was taken by five men from like, you know, the same neighborhood where I was. Kidnapped. 
and if we can cut that, if it is life. Yeah, thank you. So I, I experienced that when I was a really uh, in, in that village. And it was really hopeless case. I never think about myself like God will use me. So I was struggling, asking, where are you, God? And God found me, actually. I did not really found him. And he sent me an American. Like, really, God? <laughs> an American star looking... Uh... And so, you know, we start praying for teenagers. And uh, when I was praying for teenagers, I really excited about that prayer, that really God will answer that prayer, but did not really was sure about that God will answer it. So I, I asked Hunter, okay, man, we have been praying for two years. When we will work? And he said, wait, you know. But, and somehow I went, I gathered some people, and then I start training. And every time like I share or I pray or I ask, they will be like, huh? <laughs> it was really hopeless. But by the time God changed their hearts from one person, which is God used me that day, to this point we have almost 60 volunteer leaders and staff within just Palestine. Israel not included. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, Jordan not included. Lebanon not included. Morocco not included. Iraq not included. Tunisia not included. But now they are included. In the Bible, there is a story. I should look for, uh, you know, where it's exactly. But there is, in, it's in Arabic, it's called Beit Hazda. Like the house of Hazda, that man laying on the bull waiting for somebody to carry it and to put. Yes. Uh, but nobody, always, we are selfish about ourselves. We are busy with what we want to do. And we don't really care much about others. So thank you, Grace Church, for not taking care much about you as you care for the nation. Because it's the time to move and walk the world. So we were thinking, like, how we can carry that paralyzed man by ourselves. A Grace Church joined us to carry these bodies and help them to see Jesus. You could see Muslim covered faces with their special need kids, laughter, joy, happiness. It was such an amazing time. They live in a really hard place. Just like two hours ago, there is something happening back home where the village and the country north could be locked down. Within Young Life, with you, Grace Church, they found joy, they found freedom, they found happiness in that camp. You guys talk about yourself, small church. I think about myself, a young kid, small village of 5,000 people, living on a farm. Uh, how God can use me? Uh, to the next picture. This is a training for the first time ever we had in the Middle East. 
we gathered all these countries, which is again Palestine, Jordan, Israel, Lebanon, Morocco, Tunisia, uh, Iraq. Uh, we have some friends, brothers from America in that meeting. Uh, we did a training called HUT training. It's uh, staff people and key leaders. And a really quick story. Uh, I was mentioning a, a key leader from Jordan. She was in there with us. And then there is a big Ahmed, two Ahmeds, but the big one in that picture. He asked me to stop talking, like, stop. Who's Ranim? The men I mentioned her name, and then he stopped me asking about her name. And then I said, Ranim is our key leader in Jordan. She could not come here because, and then he said, listen. I have been praying for two years for somebody called Ranim from Jordan that I never ever met. And he's a Muslim background believer. I prayed for the lead of the Holy Spirit in her life. And I prayed for healing. And the reason she could not be in that meeting because she had the baby. She just got healed and carried the baby. And the baby now is four months. Her, his name is George. I just see her two days ago before I come here because I have to travel through Jordan. And it's just a blessing that the God is kind of like, you know, you have an official paper, but it's not official if she has, it does not have the stamp. But Ahmad, boom, put the stamp on that paper. He make it really official that this is the right person to work with. We prayed in the small village back in 2008, seven. God, as you start in the small town of Bethlehem and you are in the whole world, we prayed in the small town of Zababdi, which is my village, to the Middle East. And now, we are in the Middle East. We are not small anymore because we are together. Amen. Amen. Put, throw that the map up the, with the arrows. Yeah, out of this village and a handful of Young Life leaders, there are now Young Life leaders being raised up. Uh, that, that training was in Turkey. And when, how long ago was that? In January, and then if you follow the news at all, you know the, the trauma of what's happening in, in Turkey right now. Um, definitely praying into that. And, but the leaders are there um, in Iraq, in Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt. Who am I? Am I but, Israel, Palestine. In Israel and, and, and Israel and Palestine. Yeah, actually, Brian, just real quick. We don't have anything in Egypt, but about 30 minutes ago, Yusuf got a message on his phone from a believer in Egypt. And it's okay, he's old. <laughs> My wife says I'm really loud. You got it. Uh, in between services, actually, you said it's a message from a, an, an Egyptian believer inviting him in November to come to Egypt to share about young life and to, oh, wow. to maybe talk about how can young life ever progress. So that happened actually as people have been praying in, in, in between these two services. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that's amazing. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to put a green arrow going to Egypt, but praise the Lord, God knows more than I do. That's amazing. Are you ready to walk with us? Uh, amen. Yes. I will. Um, and, but that's, you know, obviously to the nations. And this part of the world, we just looked at the, the red map, right? Uh, what God is doing through unexpected places like students, high school kids and middle school kids, and specifically kids with special needs. So share about, so, you know, you said he was paralyzed for a year. That really stirred in him a heart to raise kids, uh, to, to reach kids with disabilities and to love their families. That in that culture is very uh, ostracized, alone. Um, and so developed a special needs center 
in his village, which is who we worked with on Epic in July. Um, but after we left Epic in August, um, Yusuf got a call from the mayor of the next village over that's a 100% Muslim yeah. village. Tell, what did he say? So I think having a special need in your house or in your town, it's a huge blessings. Especially where we are, people could not really see it. But special need opened doors for us. Uh, after the training, there is five clubs, new clubs, new meetings opened in the Palestinian territory. And there is some in Israel because of that uh, ministry with the special need. When we do ministry with the special need, we have the mother and the father and the kids and the neighbors and, 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 because they will be so surprised, like, wow, guys, how much you love these people? Like, which kind of teaching? And it's just amazing to see how the Lord opened uh, areas and, and towns. And uh, two of the towns, uh, so actually my village in the map, it's in Samaria. So with the verse says, Samaria, Judah, to the end of the word, I come uh, from Samaria, but now I live in Judah and Bethlehem, and we are in the end of the word, kind of, right? Uh, which is really cool to live that verse uh, physically. And uh, there is two places. Last month, we started two clubs, and the two clubs for special need kids. And yesterday was one, uh, actually the first time we had that club in the town. Usually, we, like, we, we had it twice before. We brought the kids to the old club we had. But yesterday, our leaders, they go to that town uh, to do the club in their town. And uh, they were kind of like nervous, okay? So when, when they went there, they, after the club, the kids and the families, they really had so much fun. They really loved it. And then our Keely, our staff person, Cesar, he said, we will come here week after week. Like he said it and like he's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm worried they, they want us to be back. Every other week. Yes, every other week. English, you're, thank you. You're doing great. And uh, the, the social worker of the municipality, she said, no, 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 no. We want you every week in this town. Yeah. And like, praise God, how God is opening doors to us as a staff, as key leaders, to walk with these kids, to reach more people. I think Jesus, when he came, he did not give the secret of the kingdom to Herod. When Herod asked him questions, he gave him Proverbs. Proverbs? Parables. But for the poor people, he gave them the secret of the kingdom. Which people we are looking for to partner with in this world? The Mercedes company? Or I don't know what it is. There is doors open for us, church, to reach out and partner with. And I really, like, I'm, I'm here just to say thank you and to give you a quick report because you have been so generous and good to us in the Middle East and Palestinian territory too. But thank you so much. I'm here just to say thank you. And I wish I could do more to you because you guys did so much to us. And even so, like, to hear you guys coming again and, and you are encouraging the, the, the church to partner, it will be just a joy that we have at least a year ahead ongoing ministry because you will be there with us so thank you that's good so thank you so alicia as you just mentioned you know there are opportunities that we're wanting to engage so real quick what's uh what's coming up next for our church family 
Yeah, so um, I was just standing here thinking about everything that's been going on this morning and just, you know, those statistics that Brian is sharing about engagement with the Muslim world and, you know, missions dollars that go to that part of the world and actual people that go to that part of the world. And why is that? Um, and I think there's lots of answers to that question. There's fear, there's the media portrayal of that part of the world. Um, I mean, just so many ways the enemy keeps, tries to keep us away from that part of the world. And here we are in this Grace family of churches, and God has just really given us a heart to do something about that. And that we have a pastor who's standing here this morning telling us about these things, because he, that's his heart, and he wants us to know about it, and he wants us to engage with that. And so the Grace Family of Churches, we offer opportunities not for you to just hear the stories that we're up here telling you about, telling about. and I mean, we could stand here for hours on end and tell you the things that the Lord is doing in that part of the world, but we want you to actually come and see. You know, that was Jesus' invitation to the disciples. Like, if you really want to see what I'm doing, if you really want to know what I'm about, if you really want to know the heart of the Father, come walk with me. Let me show you what the heart of the Father is. And so that's what Epic, which is encountering people in context, is all about. Like, come and see. Walk behind Jesus and see what it looks like for the kingdom of God to just unfold in front of your eyes and how you can even be a part of that. Um, I was just thinking about, like, the power of one life that says yes to what God calls somebody into. I mean, Yusuf, Hunter, Brian, I mean, Jonah, who you'll hear from, from in a second. I mean, just saying yes to the invitation of the Lord. And this is what changes things. This is how hearts get transformed across the world. So we have these flyers out front in the foyer about the next epic trip that's happening next May, the end of May, right after school gets out. And so I'm inviting you, come. Um, you got 15 months to save money for it, um, but come and see. Come and see what the Lord is doing, yeah. and uh, you'll be amazed. Yeah, I just encourage you, so that the epic trip is, you know, it is a Holy Land trip. I mean, we'll obviously go to the sites of Jesus, and um, but even more so, we'll encounter the people of the land and engage in a special needs camp like we did last, uh, this past July. And yes, it's 15 months away. There are a ton of you that have expressed interest in that, and so we expect that trip to fill pretty quickly. If you are interested in being a part of that epic trip, then go on and, and get your name in and register so we can go on and... and, and uh, uh, fill that team. Um, so that's coming down the road. Epic will continue to support the work of what Young Life is doing. But immediately, um, one of the things that Young Life does is, I mean, as we've mentioned a few times, is these camps for kids, both special needs kids and, uh, and Palestinian kids, Israeli kids, um, all over the Middle East, these Young Life camps where their leaders introduce them to Jesus uh, in a context that's super fun and lots of laughter and play. Um, and so the, raising money to send kids to camp is a really big deal. And so there's a fundraiser coming up, and I'll let Jonah tell you about what he's doing to help raise money for kids.
I, there's a picture of Jonah went on Epic with us in July, and uh, is that you and Ilias? The, I don't know if we have that other picture, but it was just uh, sweet to watch all those stories converge in Jonah's life with the Young Life background, with his brother's story, um, and then just loving kids. And now uh, we are blessed to get to send you to represent us um, to go hike. Everyone's done the classic school walkathon, right? But his walkathon will be from Nazareth to Capernaum, <laughs> literally walking the footsteps of Jesus, which is, I'm a little jealous. Uh, but, um, and so whether you want to, $10 or $1,000, um, encourage you. Uh, obviously his goal is to raise 3,000. That would send 30 kids to camp. Um, although yesterday we were at a, a little house gathering at Alicia's and somehow it went from 3,000 to a $30,000 goal. So who knows what God wants to actually do. Um, but we do want to, to bless kids in that part of the world to encounter Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah. So Paul ends Romans 15. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And so we want to do that. We're going to continue in worship. And uh, this is the first service. I'd love to have, let this uh, gathering pray over you all as well. And so at Grace, this is how we do it. If you haven't been a part of Grace, I'm going to invite you all to stand up. Our worship team is going to come out. Um, we're going to continue on in worship as, as we uh, draw to a close for our, our morning gathering. I invite you into communion. Our prayer team will be around the room. If you feel led to go pray for somebody, to bless somebody, um, if you need prayer, just, you know, we open up this space to just move around and receive prayer to come kneel, to take communion. Um, but before that, I, I want us to, I want, actually, I want to do two things. I want to pray over y'all, but Yusuf, I'd love for you to pray for our church and our gospel witness. And so if we all come on down here, and I'm going to invite whoever um, would love to, to just come down and we'll lay hands on Jonah and what he represents with kids going to camp, but Yusuf, what he represents with leaders uh, spreading all over uh, um, Palestine into the Middle East, uh, Hunter and the, the ministry that he has uh, faithfully served in, Alicia, and how she is helping steward us as a church. So we want to pray over them specifically. Um, but Yusuf, if you'll lead us first in prayer, and, uh, and, and you can pray in Arabic. You don't have to pray in English. Okay. Um, and then uh, I'll, uh, I'll close this here in just a minute and invite you, if you're at your seat, just to extend a hand and let's pray over these faithful brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Abuna Samawi. I know, I know. Do you have a more? Abuna Samawi, 
بالفعل نشكرك لأجل مراحمك الكثيرة على حياتنا نشكرك يا رب لأجل هذه الكنيسة القائمة على أرضك يا رب بارك خدامك بارك هاي العضاء يا رب الموجودة هون حتى بالفعل اسمك يتمجد داخل أسوار الكنيسة خارج أسوار الكنيسة وحتى خارج أمريكا يا رب بالفعل قدوس اسمك أنت صالح يا رب وإلى الأبد مراحمك ليعظم انتصارنا فيك وحدك يا رب أشكرك لهذه المحبة العظيمة يا رب التي أنت عطيتنا إياها على صليبك المقدس بالفعل أنت عظيم وأنت تستحق كل المجد يا رب بالفعل أشكرك لأجل أخونا براين أشكرك لأجل هذه الكنيسة أشكرك لأجل هذه الأمانة التي وهي يا رب الكرازة باسمك وحدك يا رب ساعدنا انتشلنا من الحطام الذي نحن فيه يا رب كن سندا لنا كلامك لا يرافق ضميرنا ولا قلبنا حتى بالفعل نكون شهداء لك على هذه الأرض في أمريكا في فلسطين في إسرائيل في الدول العربية في كل العالم نصلي للنقاط الحمر حتى تكون دمك المقدس في هذه البلدان I pray for the red, red dots on these maps that it is the blood of Jesus from now goes on in your name we pray Amen and yes Lord we do we lift up my brother and uh, all that he represents in that part of the world and that we looked at a map where it said it was an unreached people we actually say no <laughs> Lord, you are reaching your people and you're using these, this man and, and the leaders he represents, those, uh, those young people to, uh, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in a place that, uh, that many have forgotten. But you haven't forgotten. God, you chose to plant your roots there. The gospel went spread from, to us from there. And so Lord, in any way, you invite us back into your space. We recognize, God, that you're at work in marvelous and miraculous ways. And we pray for a movement of your spirit. God, that your Holy Spirit would sweep through the Middle East. We pray for peace in the Middle East, Lord. The reconciliation that can only come from you, Jesus. God, we pray that by the blood of Christ, that you would wash away the brokenness. And Lord, you would bring healing and freedom into that place. In the name of Jesus. God, we pray for a wind of your spirit to sweep across North Africa into the Middle East, back into Jerusalem, <laughs> to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and Lord, however you choose to use us, we pray a blessing over Jonah, and we pray, we pray that you would raise the funds, that and not just money and not just uh, numbers, but those are kids, those are boys and girls that get to hear and play and be seen and know that they're loved. We pray that many would profess their faith in Jesus and their lives would be turned to you. God, thank you for Alicia and the work she does for Hunter. Continue to give them wisdom and strength. Continue to provide. And Lord, we are honored for this partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, confident of this, that you who began a good work in us will carry it out to the day of completion. In Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's worship God together.